0: Welcome to the Coach Fury podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to
1: live long, be strong and die mighty. Hey everybody. welcome to episode 64 of the Coach Fury podcast. Today's guest is Paul taras Volgovinsky. I met Paul at an Indian Club MACE workshop that he was teaching at Kelly Manzoni's place in Wilton, Connecticut earlier in the year. And I'm very excited for you to hear about him because, and the timing is right, because Paul, Kelly, and Kevin Rail just launched Indian Club International, where they're going to be holding Indian Club workshops and certifications as long alongside MACE and GATA training workshops and certifications. Paul's a great guy, really knowledgeable, has a great story. And I look forward to you hearing from him. Uh, But that'll be in a moment. Let's talk about some things in the world of Fury. Hey, the mic you're listening to, this podcast being recorded from, was paid for by patrons of this show via patreon.com. If you would like to make a small financial donation, either a flat sum or a per episode donation, the money goes back into the show. I don't make much. But I do love to improve upon this show, get the quality of the recording and mixing and all that better. And uh, ideally, I'd like to start traveling and recording people and not just doing it all over Skype because uh, I have noticed there's a difference when you're in person with folks doing this. But anyway, if you would like to make a financial donation to the show, however small it might be, visit patreon.com coachfurypodcast. Patreon is spelled patreo dot com slash coachfurypodcast. Literally every dollar helps, uh, and I appreciate your support. Some workshops that are coming up if you want to come and take a course with me. Uh, I've got Original Strength Pressing Reset Sunday, January 13th at MFF Bowery. I'm heading out to uh, Southeastern Massachusetts on Saturday, January 26th for a DVRT workshop. Then the RKC. There's only about five spots left at this one. Um, Saturday and Sunday, March 2nd and 3rd, the RKC at Momentum Fitness. And the HKC, the following weekend at MFF Bowery, Sunday, March 10th. That's the one day. Learn how to dial in the swing, goblet squat, and get up and coach the living shit out of those. And then I'm still formulating for the middle of the year. End of the year is starting to pack up. Saturday, uh, September 21st, ACWA Tulsa. Can't wait to meet Aaron and see my buddy. Dustin Ripito, Original Strength Pressing Reset, Saturday, September 21st. And then the next day, we're going to be doing the DVRT workshop on the 22nd. And the rest of the year is still filling out. So thank you for that. If you'd like to come and train or take a course, visit CoachFury.com for all this info as well as the podcast. And again, to my current patrons, I love you. Thank you. Um, Folks, if you don't feel ready to make a financial commitment, if you've listened to a couple episodes of this show, do me a favor. It's I would super be grateful if you would drop a five-star rating on the old iTunes. That stuff goes a long way. And it's not just to push the show for myself. I I would love for my guests to get more reach, uh, and that helps. Uh, It was an interesting thing when I actually searched my own podcast and the episodes came up, but the show itself didn't come up because similar shows had more ratings. So show me some love. While we're at it, let's show Paul some love and get to his episode. Thanks for listening. I did put up and ask for questions um, and basically Kelly had asked um, why don't we all live closer to each other was the question and uh,
0: yeah, well, wouldn't that did, be nice
1: yeah right especially on your end I mean Perth is beautiful but what a hike from from here I did not envy that trip having done it once before
0: right yes no it's a, it's a, it's pretty I mean it took me nearly a week to get over it when I came back from Wilson
1: it's somewhat crazy how jet lag, when you're over the 12 hour mark, right? When you're, you're literally coming from the past into your future there. Um, I, I just did it with a, it was a 13 hour difference in the beginning of my trip to Japan. And then we had daylight yeah. savings here and it became a 14 hour. And then <laughs> I went to Taiwan, it became a 13 hour again. And I got back here and I was fine for like two days. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. And then I was out for like three days.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, No, it's pretty full on.
1: So let's get this rolling. Uh, the big news that I was excited to talk to you about, even—I mean, it happened after we scheduled this. Was tell me what's going on with Indian Clubs International with, with Kelly and Kevin?
0: Well, basically, the, um, the long
1: and short. Oop! I lost you there, Paul. <laughs> there we go. No, my,
0: my phone just—my phone just rang.
1: <laughs> and then, if you could stay a little closer to the mic,
0: sure, you can Perfect. hear me, okay?
1: Yeah, that's okay. cool. That's cool. So, uh, let, so let's we, pi- let's pick that up and um, just I just so asked basically you. yeah.
0: But, no, Indian clubs international. The the whole aim of it basically is to um, present um, uh, teaching in a sort of really concise manner that people can follow through and understand. Um, we're, we're, um, Kevin, Kelly and I, all, all of us are of the opinion that sort of some of the teaching that's happening currently is basically really not sort of up to scratch, if you like. And we wanted to sort of create a sort of, um, you know, a collaboration that where the three of us are working together, presenting the Indian clubs and MACE, which is basically come from my um, days, you know, fully blown out on chemo and stuff which I'll go into later on. Yeah, I definitely want to talk um, to you about that. Yeah, and um, it was this this sort of, you know, I've dreamt this sort of concept up of of teaching the mace with with a precursor of uh, learning Indian club movements. That means the transverse turns, you know, um, the triceps extensions at the back of the head and all this sort of thing. And that seems to have caught on um, pretty well. A lot of people got excited about it. And I think between the three of us we want to um uh, just sort of encourage this sort of like you know um basically no bullshit training if you like that's that's that, that's the concept i mean it's still in in the development um i'm also of the opinion and so is kelly and kevin that you know giving certifications for example especially on indian clubs not so much fun on the maze but more so on indian clubs you have to do, you know, levels of that. It's not a thing that can be done very quickly. And you've got a, the beginner level, then an intermediate, then an advanced, and then like a senior, senior advanced level, because the um, the person has to go away and practice. And yeah. on top of that, um, we all think that we we want to provide like a sort of teacher's corner with it, so that you know there there are. I know now from. Um, a lot of um, presenting and teaching at uh, seminars and stuff, things that the, the students do wrong and each student is individually um, can be, do different things wrong or a combination of things and how to correct that sort of stuff. And that's, yeah. that's been a real, that's been a real um, challenge, particularly with the MACE, with some people who maybe aren't quite as strong or their coordination isn't quite there um, you know up to scratch the, you know that that to me is you know that's the challenge that I want to address here um, because just from sort of, ob- of an observation point of view um, with YouTube and Facebook um, there's lots of people out there who aren't really swinging correctly and I'm not trying to knock anybody off here but the, 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 the movements aren't correct and um, it's stemming from um, that, uh, you know, things haven't been corrected as they've been learning. And this is what we want to present in um, Indian Clubs International.
1: I I think there's there's such a spot for that. It's been interesting. So um, listeners, the way I found out about Paul was my buddy, Ben Marvin. um, I teach usually once a year in Austin, Texas at Dow Health and Fitness. And Matt uh, is the owner there and and Ben shows up and Ben's the one who introduced me to, uh, you know the Mace and Gata more directly. And Paul and I had spoken offline that you know I had been involved with Dragon Doors. I was certified through Dragon Doors uh, Indian Club Workshop, which in it, which the nice thing about it is as difficult as it was because it was very meticulous. It was only five things that we focused on, and and spent two days focusing on those five things. Um, was so he was like, come and take this mace workshop, and I had no background other than what Ben showed me, so I was very interested. First and foremost, to learn about the maze from you uh, and to hang out with Ben and meet Kelly, who Kelly and I had known each other uh, through the social media as a mutual friends. Yes. But seeing the connection, so the nice thing is, is with Indian clubs, I, I agree. On one end, Indian clubs, at least in the States, have had this thing where, like, yeah, there was a Dragon Door workshop that had some very successful ones and then some that were like really hard to fill. And then when that sort of went away, then there would be like some really big Indian club workshops and then they would sort of go away so you'd have people basically getting a taste of the foundations but then no real place to follow up with other than YouTube which is where um, I admit like I wasn't doing a lot of research I basically have been using Indian clubs for you know the eight years without a lot of exploration I'm going to be very honest like I just kept using them the way I knew and it wasn't until about 2 months before taking your course that I really started working on my wrist turns and wrist circles. Yeah. So I think there's that place for beginner, middle and and more importantly like where do we keep going cuz that does get all over the place in Indian clubs more so than like a swing becoming a kettlebell snatch. The progressions on the turns like I'll be honest, I watch some of your stuff or James Nidlinger stuff and I have to like adjust the speeds on my YouTube sometimes to just see how that's going. And uh, so there's that end on Indian clubs where I think we have these waves of where there's interest and then it dries out. But then the people that got interested, I think it dries out a little bit because we have no other place to go, right? Like what's the next step? Yeah. Maze training is what's interesting for me is it's just, it's, I know there's been cats like, you know, in the States, Rick Brown has been really uh, a proponent of maze training and uh, it's always been sort of there, but all of a sudden it's really becoming popular where I came back from your workshop and I posted like one or two videos of me just trying to get my, um, I thought they were fairly humble to me just practicing with the MACE, admitting I don't really know what I'm doing. And people started asking me, like if I could teach the MACE stuff. I'm like, I'm barely, accomplishing this on myself. So, you know, I wasn't jumping into that. So uh, I think it's really good. And what I loved about your workshop, and I don't want this just to be a sales ad for Paul listeners. I just, um, as somebody that also teaches, and, and I really appreciated your teaching style and how it was laid out, was we basically focused on two things with the mace. We focused on the 360s and the 10 to 2, and then some movement patterns within that. Whereas I think what's happening now is people are trying to justify mace as a complete System that there's a lot of like randomness being thrown in that maybe we should focus more on like what we focused on. So, uh, anyway, that was just me saying like cheers, I'm really excited for the three of you. Um, you're very talented. And then the last little spiel I'll say about that workshop was the cool thing with Indian clubs, having gone through the certs that I did or the cert and then assisting at a, a number of them, um, was there's the fans, right? There's the people that really believe in Indian clubs. We're like nerds about it. Like you're, you're an Indian club nerd. And I mean that in like the best way yeah. myself, yeah. James Nylinger, Kelly, my friends, Noah Maxwell, Phil Cerrito, Brett Jones, you know, we're, we're nerds for the art of it. Um, certainly my intro, my introduction was through dragon door and the work of Ed Thomas, where it's not competitive in a way. We all just want like clubs in people's hands as opposed to like, really like, you know, one brand being better than the other. It's like, how can we share the most information to get people using these well? And it was great to be at that workshop with that sort of like historical aspect of strength training, all nerding out. Nobody was a jerk at that course. Nobody was like trying to outdo one another at that course. It was so fun that way. So I think there's a lot of good things going, but let's talk about the MACE first. Okay. Where, where do you see the, the the popularity? And and the thing that I wonder is, do people even know why it's beneficial? Right? So I think there's two things here. Like they see it's cool, but I don't even know if people know why mace training is beneficial. Could you, let's let's start there. What is the bigger benefit of training with the mace?
0: Okay. So, so the mace, I'm, I'm going to go back of so historically wise, the, the, the original mace's that were used as weapons basically were quite short. Um, they 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 would they would be maybe the length of a meal. So that in, in sort of inch terms that would be maybe th- um, 28 30 inches long. And the um, so this is going. So this is the ancient mace I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And th- there was a ver- there was a very I found that there's um through sort of various readings and stuff that there was a discipline that um, mace fighting had to follow which was basically you weren't allowed to strike below the waist and that was one of the rules and and that was a sort of you know basically okay it was men that were doing the fighting and and that was just a sort of you know a gentleman's agreement if you like that they would not hit each other um, below the waist. Now. Um, I and and some of the swings that they would do would be across the body, and you know they hit the other opponent by doing that type of swing. And I think that that's morphed into um, the mace becoming longer and being t- up t- taken up by the Akhara's. And the Akhara, just for anybody who doesn't know, is a wrestler's gym um, in um, the the um, Uttar Pradesh um, area of India, which is. And the sort of central city to that is the holy city of Varanasi. And in Varanasi, there are a lot of different Akharas, and they basically separate into two areas. One is um, strength training more, and the other one is wrestling more. But they've still got the, the mace and other equipment that they use in common. And the mace, the, mace, the longer mace, then uh, sort of uh, morphed into the 10 to 2, particularly. Because it mimics um, throwing your opponent over the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Because it's that sort of movement. I mean, it's a very fast, aggressive movement that has to be made. And, I mean, you, you're wanting to throw your opponent down to the ground. So, you know, the mass training that happens from the sort of mid-chest up here doesn't follow it already because the, the movement has to be down because you're trying to get the opponent over your shoulder and you're going to kind of follow him over now, there's a huge amount of core work in that that's involved in that. There's transverse turning and thoracic turns, so, um, so the body is turning from one side of the body to the other, like we did at the workshop. And um, then I think also it sort of um, promotes rhythmic sorry rhythmic breathing. Rhythmic. That's a good one. You, um, can, you can put breathing. that in the
1: manual. Like, you have that control <laughs> now. rhythmic. Just claim it.
0: I'll just call it, yeah. rhythmic. rhythmic. Yeah, that's a good one. Anyway, so and now, so basically, uh, you know, when your hand's up behind your head in, a tr- in the triceps extension, you're breathing in because your thoracic cage is open. And then as you're pulling down at the front, you're breathing out. And it's almost like a standing crunch. I mean, your shoulders should come forward slightly and, and down in that movement. So for, you know, for the upper body, it's fantastic. And also um, I like, I like uh, following the uh, example that I've seen in Varanasi, where basically the feet, they relatively planted on the ground and um, the hips are facing forward. Although there's going to be a slight turn, the upper body has to do those movements much more. So, yeah. I, now, so to, just to sort of finish off, Please. also with the mace, there's an an amazing amount of grip work in the sense that the grip should change from the front position to the back position and then back again. So every swing, you have a grip change um, to the back and then back to the front. So the hands have to do a lot of work. And I mean, the grip work is basically, you know, using the, um, the thumb and forefinger on both hands and when my right hand is using the thumb and forefinger, my left hand is using the back three fingers for the saber grip, and then it reverses. So, you know, th- th- that's the sort of outline of basically what's going on during a mace swing. And I think that, you know, the combination of the breathing, the sort of the violent move that you have to do to bring the mace up over your shoulder is, um, is uh, very important. And also there's another benefit, which I just quickly mentioned, uh, the... Um, when you bring the mace down into the low rack position at the front, then you're, you're well set up for doing what's called the push-up. So the push-up happens from um, the belly button up to the, um, the chest, and then that's at, the, that, at that point the mace falls into its back sweep, and then you pull it back down at the front again. What does that give you? It gives you acceleration. And then you've got the deacceleration on the other side to, to um, control the mace and get it under control again. Um, whereas opposed to a chest swing, where it's being done from the center here, is um, the mace is rather controlling the athlete rather than the athlete controlling the mace.
1: I know what we spoke about this um, at the course. Is I was definitely you know being so new to it. I was like a holding from the chest. I was coming at it from like you know the kettlebell background of more of a hard style, you know, yeah. rack, higher rack position. Um, and it took me. And, and I'm grateful just in the practice of having to figure out how to decelerate. Like that didn't stick to me, as opposed to muscling to a stop versus the deceleration. What I what I've come to love with swings and I. I do them quite a bit. I, admittedly, I, I'm still very much um, working on my 360s and still struggling with my 10 to twos because I just don't feel like I've earned them yet. But I'm practicing. But is that that it is aggressive? But there's this meditative aspect of just feeling the what I like about it with Indian clubs is that mental flow where you start yes. to feel where the ball on the end is going and finding that pocket when you decelerate, whether it's a 360 or a 10 to two. So that yep. it, it's an interesting thing when you, th- I don't lock into that all the time, but when you hit that, you realize that, yeah, the load isn't so much that it's, when it goes heavier, I mean, a, a steel mace and a god is a little bit different depending on the handle thickness and weight distribution, but it's more yep. about like that, that more of having to create a little bit more of acceleration, but like really about controlling the deceleration phase, I find yes. when it gets heavier. Correct. yeah. Whereas when people are seeing videos of like really heavy mace work going on, I think they think there's something else going on of like brute force muscle work, which it's not. It's, it's, it's much more like a, an upper body kettlebell swing a little bit, or in uh, DVRT Ultimate Sandbag Land, we have um, Around the Worlds or Cyclones, which is a very yeah. similar move, but yeah. we're, we're using the pivot off the foot more in a martial arts manner um, directly as opposed to keeping the feet planted. Yeah. I think that's like an, a, a skill that's lost because I think that's one of those areas when you talked about a lot of people might not be doing it right. Um, I know for me, I was not doing it right until I went to the course. What do you think is yeah. like, um, do you think there's something potentially harmful? Um, like, Do you think people are jumping into maze training too quickly maybe without knowing that?
0: Yes, and I, I'm, I, I, this is basically based on my, on my personal experience now. I bought my first, I can't even remember how long ago, maybe sort of eight, nine years ago. Um, and uh, the, so and I was training with my son and we, we I tried to, I trawled the internet, couldn't find anything about it really apart from sort of a few very sketchy videos from India. And um, my son and I, I'm just going to step back a bit. So my son and I started from the sort of chest position, hammer gripping, and basically when you hammer grip, you don't go into the triceps extension at the back, and we um, and we found that basically we were having terrible elbow problems, and this is happening. And I've got to add into this into this um, area, we we were swinging at twelve kilo mace at that stage because there was nothing else available. I didn't even hadn't been to India at that stage and seen how to make my own maces and all this sort of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: twelve kilos and. You know, I bought the 12-kilo mace thinking, yeah, that's fine, because at that time I was heavily into sort of Gear Boy style cable bells. I was doing tw- double 24s and the rest of it, I thought, what the hell is 12 kilos? But boy, did I, you know, was I humbled by the first few swings. And, I mean, we literally used to swing five, five um, 360s, five one way, five the other way, and then change grip, five one way, five the other. That was it. That was it. Because if we did any more, our um, our elbows would be, and basically really suffering because the, the wrists aren't literally strong enough at the back of the head to um, to support the, the, the mace swing. And you've got to consider, what, one of the reasons why is that, this is always interesting, why is that? Because the mace, it physically, it, um, the weight, because of the speed, increases threefold by the time it crosses the center line of the back. So a 12 kilo mace goes up to 36 kilos. And then it, then it goes lighter on as it comes up on the other side. So you know, you, if you use that multiplication, I mean, that's you know, so a seven kilo mace will give you a twenty-one kilo drop at the back.
1: Well, I've said and this when when Kelly was on the podcast. So I did something similar. I mean, there were there were sizes available, but I'm like, I have a strong kettlebell background. I have an Indian club background. Um, I'll start out with a twenty pound mace. And, you know, so around you know, just just between like closer to a ten k, I guess, uh, between eight k and ten k. Yeah. I went for my first 360. <laughs> I thought I was going to rip my arms out of the sockets. Like it was amazingly humbling. And I got to be honest, that was that humbling I think that made me keep wanting to practice it. Cause I don't feel like, I feel like I can pick up, pick up stuff fairly well. Um, and I just really assumed with my, my background and some other stuff that I was going to pick that up really easily. And I love that it still continues to humble me. I'm, I'm just now fairly consistently doing all my 360s with a 20, and building up a lot more volume on it. But I, I did start to feel, um, and occasionally I still do, because I get carried away, I'll just not even realize how many reps I'm doing and I'll start to feel that elbow a little bit. And, you know- Well, if you're that, feeling,
0: if you, yeah, if you're feeling your elbow, that means that you're not really dro- dropping far, deep enough down into the triceps extension because you want the triceps in the leading arm or the primary arm, which is the one that's here because the other one's there. That arm has to, the, 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 the basically, the triceps has to be fully, fully extended. Yeah. If, if, and if you're starting to get pain in your elbow, basically, it means that you're not allowing that to happen.
1: I'm pers- I'm consistently trying to work on the, the two things that I try to work on is feeling that momentum of the bell, like literally just trying to track, you know, that, that path behind you and then down. Uh, and sure. then I have been working on getting that more proper, relaxed reach on the back end. Like, just... The, the bare minimum, you know, I think you, you call it a skin grip. Finding the, the, yes. the minimal amount of grip for safety as opposed to trying to, like, you know, a, a kettlebell land, it, it's a kettlebell takeover in a lot of ways, or barbell land of, like, crushing, crushing, crushing. And yes. you can't float something um, that needs to be fluid and have a death grip on it at the same time. It's counterintuitive.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's right. And so, I mean, you know, basically... Getting away, and having the confidence to swing a mace without using the death grip is a big challenge. Because I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, you, the first thing that you think of is, oh, it's, am I going to grip it hard enough to stop it from falling out of my hands? Mm-hmm. And um, that that's that's it's, it's it's like a stepping stone. So I mean, you you've got to go from that sort of death grip, as you just pointed out, into the sort of the skin grip, the relaxed grip, to allow the full triceps extension and, and the rotation of the shoulders, which is really important at the same time, because if the shoulders aren't rotating, then there's too much. If you think about it, if the, as long as you allow the shoulders to rotate completely, you're gonna allow the, um, the, uh, the um, shoulder blades to move out of the way of the handle as it passes your center back. If you don't do that, then you've got to swing further back, further away from your back, that means your arms are further up, um, beh- higher behind your head, and um, you're going to come into sort of like a sticky situation with your elbows. You're exposing them to basically sort of tendon damage and, and, and you know, over overstretching them and all this sort of thing because the the, the the wrist and the elbow is just not strong enough to muscle the mace through that movement because of the increase in weight, basically.
1: Well, I know uh, part of the, you know, A, there's this like sort of, you know, over-tension thing, and what i when i before i met you and became aware of you you know a lot of the mace stuff that was starting to become popular and through on it was very much like almost like you know uh, you know viking image super badass tough tough guy type stuff um i know even perform better doesn't call their 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 steel maces maces their lever bars because that name sort of had like a game of thrones connotation in a weird way um versus when I watch you, and I remember, I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna sound like too much of a fanboy, but uh, peer respect, I saw you just demoing and talking so relaxed <laughs> and just the smoothness, right? Like when somebody uses the mace well, it does look easy. And I think that's a lost thing because it's an implement that lends itself to look. People feel it should be overly aggressive. Does that make sense? So versus yes, that, it does that, that flow, and it's one of the reasons why I love that you. You know, we could we'll talk about the music you just released, but that you do play uh, a certain type of rhythm, drum beats in the background. I know when we do Muay Thai, um, it's been a while since I've done Muay Thai. We have a certain type of music that sets the cadence, sets a rhythm. Right. Versus, I think there was like this very aggressive heavy metal attitude. Towards maze training until I was at least in my world, which is probably more like a, a bigger scope, and then coming through you and seeing that relaxed, and then through you know William and, and Kelly and Kevin and Ben, a more like relaxed, flowy version of it. But you still have tension where you need it. Versus again the sort of over tensing powerlifting style.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah, my, my, I, I've tried to really sort of mimic and, um, you know, reproduce basically what I learned in India. And, I mean, those guys are so relaxed. I mean, I, I've got to tell you this story. I mean, there was at one stage I was in one of the akaras, uh, Ogornas Akhara in Varanasi. And there were the, these four sort of older men, I'll call them, sort of a little bit of a tummy on them, you know, standing around and they all had a mace in their hand, and they were having a chat, and they're just doing the odd swing, you know? It was just like, really amazing. And it was so relaxed. It was just wonderful to watch, you know? And they're sort of like going, going about their sort of, you know, conversation. I couldn't understand it, because it, it was in Hindi, but it was just sort of just something out of this world. How and I, to- I love that. And I am... I, um, now, I'm gonna just sort of diversify here. Please. What's, what's really bizarre What's really bizarre to me about some of the um, mace training, so and with some of the students, and this is this is what it is. As you know, you basically swing the mace behind your back, but the, the, whether it's clockwise or anti-clockwise, the mace will be dropped to the left or it will be dropped to the right. Now, what's here comes a strange bit. Some students see you demonstrate this, and what do they do? They actually stand and they throw the mace over their back, and it basically hits them on the bum. And now, what I still haven't quite figured out is why, you know, they, 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 the, the student is obviously thinking, okay, well, the mace has to go, and we've, I've gone through sort of, um, going to great pains to explain the movements, how it has to go over to the side. We've done the pendulum um, swings from one side to the other, and the first attempt at throwing the mace um, basically behind these students will go straight over the back. And you know, as as anything swings, it will swing in a straight line. So, where's it gonna go? It's gonna crash into your back as a result. <laughs> and it's something something that's an absolute mystery, but. Um, there, there is a way, and what I think I've found is that the student doesn't understand the fact that the hands don't go up the centre line of the body. The hands have to go out to the side, counterbalancing the mace head, which is on the opposite side. And, and um, basically so you, you, you're, the front of your body is turning away from the mace in preparation for it to swing past your back. And um, we, yeah, we're, this is one of the things that we've addressed that, um, you know, Indian Clubs International is one of the things that we want to really put to bed because we've found on, on various workshops, I mean, the last, this last trip I've done, there have been a number of people who have really, really struggled with that. And we think we've now got to come up with a solution for it, um, but using a very lightweight mace, so the, you've got the sort of mass there um, of, of, of a shape but there's no weight there. So that means that the student can basically muscle the way through the movements and then take a lighter mace, like I say, sort of eight pounder or 10 pounder and try doing the swing that way. And once we get the shoulders going, then things are starting to fall into place and work properly.
1: I, I think that I agree Like the, the thing that caught me off guard and, that I'm, is, and it was a combination of a couple of tips you gave me while I was struggling with the, the, the low rack position and then towards the end of the day, Kevin actually gave a great – that it is when you turn into it and come across with the hands, it's, it doesn't take much. The Mace then, you know, does the job for you basically. Yes. And then it yes. is a deceleration coming down the other side. I, I just think that tension with the overhead, I think we're just – myself included, this isn't a judgment call on anybody – we're so used to have to being tight and stiff and I think just like sometimes when people first pick up a kettlebell swing they try to muscle it because there's also a part of their brain saying like you're about to hold on to something heavy that's going to move we shouldn't be doing this so I think there's a little bit of that lizard brain protection comes in where like I'm about to swing something heavy and long behind me and that safeguard comes in and it's one of those things that that safeguard's actually like counterintuitive to what we're trying to accomplish
0: Sure, and the, safe, the safeguard also goes into um, another realm of um, the, uh, the being exposed to um, injury. Yeah. Because uh, a number of people that I've spoken to now have all said that their first uh, mason was one of the scariest ones that they've done. And um, I have to second that because although I've been sort of doing this for a long time, I mean, you probably saw the video that I put up, I don't know, it must be two or three months ago now, um, when i made up a, a nail mace because i wanted to try it out you, <laughs> you, know, had, you had that at the hand. course <laughs> and i i actually went through exactly that process it reminded me so and i was stood there with a mace in front of me thinking my god is it, are you crazy or what and um you know the, the nail mace is used in india i mean it's a um you know tough love type of instrument um, but they do use it over there, you know, with, with regularly as as a form of training to make sure that the swing comes out right. And um, that that sort of element of it being exposed to the danger of the mace hitting you at the back is very, very is a very relevant thing. Totally understand it, and I, I'm very happy that, that that happened to me recently because I know what people are talking about. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that, that's something that with this um, sort of like almost like a dummy mace a very lightweight mace um that has a ball on the end of it you can get over that problem because once the person is confident that they'll swing without hitting themselves then they can start trying heavier weights. So it's like baby steps, basically.
1: I mean, that's basically what I've done. So I, I've I've basically helped teach two people how to do three sixties and a little bit of ten to twos. One's a client of mine who we've been training together forever, and the other's a, a friend of mine, uh, Joe Boffi, co-owner Catalyst Sport in New York. And you know, it, it, it is about. Uh, I ended up buying a few. You know, I bought that initial twenty pound, and now I have four. I have three uh, steel maces, and I have a gada that I picked up at, at your workshop. And, you know, I have them start with the 10 and, and I, you know, I do the prep work like you went through and I let it be light enough where if they're going to muscle it a little bit, it's still a safe position, but then they can, it's that confidence building. Whereas I think a lot of us, like how you mentioned you had a 12 K, which is a 26 in the U S 26 pound mace. Like that's not a light mace to be no. around for me, the 20 pound when it's new. And so having like, even like a 10 and then going to a 15 and then building up is, is really valuable Uh, To get the timing, to get the cadence, to get the confidence, and I just know it's become such a a, a unexpected regular part of my training. Like I probably no, well
0: that's 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 really good to hear. I mean, and what you've just described is basically the way that um, they train in the Akharas of Varanasi. I mean, the the, uh, you know uh, the athletes will come in. And they'll, um, they'll do a sort of little prayer because each, I don't, I don't know if you know, but each Akhara is also a temple to Hanuman, the god of strength. And um, so basically, each each um, athlete will come in, he'll say a little prayer, there's a little shrine there, and then he'll start training. And every time he picks a mace up, he'll touch his forehead, he'll bend down, and he'll touch the head of the mace as basically, and it's a prayer for his strength and to become one with the mace, which is a the element of prior perception that you have to have because you can't actually really see what you're doing behind your back Yeah. And um, now going on to the training, what you've just described is they, they will start with like a 10 kilo. I mean, they, they, those boys, I mean, they start pretty heavy. So, and then they'll go on to a 15, a 20 and a 25. Now, and that, then basically that's the weight. So they'll do a certain amount of, they'll count their reps up, They always, most of them will train in front of a very narrow mirror also to watch their um, form. Mm -hmm. And the mirror is used to watch their form and not self-adulation and muscle flexing. Um, And um, then, and the concept with that is that for 11 months of the year, they train with those lighter weights because they want to maintain their agility. This is going back to the benefits, the agility of mace swinging. for wrestling in that, in that particular way. But I mean, I think that goes much further. I mean, there's, you know, if you're a, um, a kettlebell um, uh, uh, person or a, say for instance, a climber, and I mean, there's so many other modalities that you have to be flexible, you have to be agile. And then even speaking for myself, as you get older, you want to maintain that agility, um, you know, into an old age rather than walking around on a Zimmer frame. You know, if it's possible, I mean, that's what you want to do. So. You know, and then so the 11 months of the year, they practice the mace with those lighter weights, and then um, in come um, the 1st of August, they have what's called the, um, the, F- the Cobra Festival, and then each akhara um, goes into competition with everybody else, all the other akharas, and they will swing up to 60 kilos. I mean, it, it is huge what they do. Wow!
1: And what kind of yeah, rep yeah, schemes? When someone gets to that sort of heavy of a of a weight, what kind of rep schemes are we looking at? Or, or... Oh,
0: we're looking at between between I've seen them do up to about twenty. Wow! And but the thing is, there's a big difference here because the agility swinging that we're talking about that we've just discussed, and I, I was just explaining the the, the akara methods of, of laddering through the weights. Mm-hmm. Um, the that they basically that's non-contact, so I mean, there's no the mace is swung behind the back. There's no contact with the front or the back of the body. Whereas where you get to those heavy weights, it goes into um, the jury style of, uh, of club swing, which is basically two very long clubs, but roughly the same length as a mace. And it's full body contact. So the mace, the mace is thrown off the back. The, the athlete will, uh, will turn to the side and then push off. And mm-hmm. turn to the other side, and the mace drops, and then he catches it on his other shoulder, straightens up before he does the next rep. And obviously, the reps um, just for people who may not know, the reps are counted as one. You have to swing once to the left, once to the right. That counts as one. So, and that's so that's you know going up between. 15 to sort of 18, maybe 20 reps is what they're aiming for. I've certainly seen that done with 40 kilos. Um, and I've got a video on my um, YouTube channel of a guy doing that, and I think he gets up to about 18. So, I mean, I'm just going to rephrase that. The 60, I haven't seen 20 reps done with the 60. It's up to about 18.
1: It's still, that's fantastic. Well, it's just massive. Real, real quickly while we're Try talking rep. rep schemes. If someone's getting into maze training, I basically do, you know um, – Within sets of whatever else I'm doing, or in, in in sort of like my my power section of my warm up or whatever, uh, multiple sets of like ten per side or fifteen per side. What what is like a normal rep scheme or duration? Because it seems like there's a lot of high volume that people are doing, and um, I think that might be also where people getting new into maze training. They're trying to learn this new skill, but not quite being sure how to program it into something.
0: Okay. So now, now we can touch on my, my drum beats. I, I just sort of give you a bit of background. I mean, the drum beats basically come from Iran or Persia, the Zulkane, where they use drumming all the time. They're very disciplined about the way you eat, they use them. And I started using that first for Indian clubs. Then it went on to the mace and then on to the Persian meals. And now I do everything with that. Now, I've uh, and basically, what I've done is I've taken the essence of the 10 minute set from Gear of Voice Sports or, or Kettlebell Sports mm-hmm. and thought to myself, okay, so if, if I, I and I have a clock in my um, gym room here, and basically, if I start, I mean, I'll do um, and I'll swing for 10 minutes at a time, and it doesn't really matter, I don't think it personally matters whether you swing and 360s or 10 to to twos. What I like to do in my, the way way that I work at the moment is that I'll do um, a left over right grip to start with and I'll swing the first minute as 10 to twos. The second minute I'll swing to the 360s to the right, third minute 360s to the left, fourth minute 10 to twos and then fifth minute I'm going to do a ladder. So I'm going to swing... So basically, um, a ten to two ladder, which I mean, that, I mean starting at two, two to the two to the right, two to the left, three, three, four, four, five, five, and that takes a minute. And Then I go do a hand change and I repeat the whole thing for this, the last ten minutes. Wow! And basically, now now going to the drumming. If you're starting with something like this, um, that's why those drum beats basically have different speeds because you can swing this sort of thing at 55 beats a minute, and you're gonna do, I forget what it is now, um, what that works out to in swings. But if you get up to 60 swings, there's 30, basically 30 swings in that time that you're gonna do, so 30 swings a minute. So that's uh, beats per minute, 60, you're gonna do 300 swings in 10 minutes. And that's basically what I do. And I now, and I, now since um, with, as the drumbees developed, I will start off with um, round about, say, 56. And I'll use, I'll use a, um, a seven kilo um, mace for the 56 beats per minute. Then I'll put the next 10 minute track will be 57 beats a minute. And I'll go up to the eight kilo. And then the, 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 the third set will be um, 58. And that'll be a nine kilo mace. And that's a workout. I mean, that's a real workout because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're having to swing you're having to swing faster and faster, and the weight's heavier and heavier. So it's like a ladder format.
1: That's awesome. Well, that's a, folks, listeners, that's a, that's a good goal to work for, but take your time and build up and ease into it. No, but no, like-
0: no, but so if, if I can, for anybody who's going to try this and, and who has my um, drum beats, basically the drum beats, um, there's another way of looking at it completely, and I'd just like to sort of mention this. If you look, if you have a, um, a large clock face with a sweep hand, you can do um, the start and stop, basically that we did at the, um, the course in Wilson, where you swing once, five seconds, you swing another time, five seconds, but you stop in the rack position in between times. So that means that you're gonna have 12 swings per minute.
1: Yeah. And that
0: is a fantastic way of starting to build up your endurance.
1: I also just found for myself, because one of the one of the keys you responded on, you commented on one of my videos um, was about owning that hold position, because I sometimes struggle with the rack because again, getting used from that chest position to the low rack is I, 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 every time I do 360s, I'm, I'm pausing in that middle position so that I can own it. Because otherwise, yeah. it's, it's so. It's just like with anything, uh, with Indian clubs or with swings or any martial art. Like, it's so easy to get sloppy when it becomes yep. just a consistent thing, as opposed to having that moment of ownership.
0: Sure.
1: Well, that's sure. super useful. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, let, let's actually break away from programming a little bit. Like, what came first, your your interest in Indian clubs, in maces? Like, what what was the first big draw into sort of this world of um, circular strength training, historical strength training. Um, what, what brought you into it? Okay. Um, I was, I got very fat
0: at one stage and, um, my, my heart rate was my, you know, my, um, heart rate was up and sort of all sorts of borderline diabetic, basically. And my doctor just said, look, you've got to have to start doing something. And, um, I decided there and then to do it. And I, you know, my dad was half Russian. And I remember him talking about kettlebells, and it just happened. I remember looking on the web, and there was Pavel Tsatsoulin with his um, Enter the Kettlebell book, and you know the whole Dragon Door thing. And I literally bought the book and got into it for about seven years on. At the same, at the same time, I started looking for the internet. Okay, what else can you swing? Because I love the sort of the, the kettlebell swing in particular, and I love going into the rack position and then the you know the press. Mm-hmm. And um, I found Club Bells, Scott Sonnen and Club Bells and bought some and hated them, absolutely hated them. And I made the, the, you know, the dreadful mistake. I mean, I, I bought um, Club Bells from two kilos up to 20, two of each.
1: That's, that's quite I,
0: sad. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite a step because I thought, oh, no, well, I can do this. But, you know, because by this time when I found, I found these, I mean, I was pressing um, double twenties, no problem, and I was already working with twenty fours. So I thought, well, you know, two twenties are not going to be a problem. Little did I know, you know, that your wrist just literally really struggles with that. And I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but anybody who does the um, the, the, the uh, a clubbell swing really swings with their elbow into their body because, I mean, you know, you've got to protect your elbow basically from overstretching. Yeah. So, um, and then as things happen, I found a book by Cobbett and Jenkins, um, an Indian club book which had patterns in it. And I thought, well, that's, that sounds really, really the thing to do. And I actually went out, found a turner here in Perth and he made, up me, made me up a set of um, the clubs. And my first attempts with the Indian clubs were just, I mean, you know, I, mean, I just had no idea what I was doing. Found uh, other books, started learning from them. I found the English in the old books quite difficult to understand. And some of the drawings um, and so on are very difficult. But it started pulling me in more and more. And, um, you know, the interest was just fascinating because, I mean, you could swing circles and they seemed seem to be endless combinations of them. And I, I got, so I think I got too big for my boots at one stage. I started putting out videos and stuff. And by the time I learned to do the back hip circle, I thought, well, I mean, I've conquered this most, you know, I know <laughs> what there is to know about Indian clubs. And then things started happening because because I'm quite isolated here and I wasn't really having to, any idea to bounce ideas from, I um, started experimenting more and basically videoing myself, analysing my mistakes, looking at the mistakes, because sometimes, you know, you'd crash the clubs or you couldn't figure out, your, your arms would get twisted over and you, well, where are they supposed to actually go? What, what am I doing? And one of the first things, that, the, the stepping away from the norm to me was um, looking at the... Um, the concept of uh, transitioning from a synchronized swing to an asynchronous swing and doing it seamlessly so there was no stopping. Mm -hmm. And boy, when that, I actually managed to work that one out. And basically that was from a, a, which is something that we'll be doing in the um, level two workshop in Wilson in May is learning how to do this sort of stuff and you have to um, change the ca- cadence of one arm and keep the other one on the previous, on the previous cadence, which is the, the mental gymnastics element that comes into this.
1: So I, I example, love that phrase. I love that phrase, mental gymnastics. I would call it, uh, I don't know if Sudoku is a, is a big thing, the, the, like the puzzles, Sudoku puzzles, but like, that's, I would use that phrase. And when you call it mental gymnastics, that makes just total sense because there is... Oh, man, there's so much to unpack with what you've been talking about. One of the things that I've noticed, and I've spoken about it on this podcast, um, part of it deals with my Indian club training. Part of it deals with uh, my my work with original strength, and part of it is you know, um, as as I'm hitting, I, I turned 46 last month. You know, my goals are changing, and those 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 mental challenges on top of are, are taking a, a more of a priority over how heavy something is for me right now. Like that mental yeah. training app. Yeah the coordinated aspect of that i'm just already feeling benefits in my overall movement quality even though i'm not pressing as heavy yeah my reflexes are starting to show improvements off of that stuff um and i just think moving forward from a longevity standpoint man it's so crucial so that's one of the things that i think i wasn't paying enough attention to with my indian clubs because again i was sort of like you know going off of the original course that I took, where it's like, here's your five movements, you know, learn these and it's great. But then in terms of like trying to do the coordinated wrist circles and those types of things and changing patterns, going from synchronous to asynchronous, which still melts my brain, still working on it. Uh, it does
0: with most people, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just practice. It's just investing the time for something that's frustrating. And Indian clubs... Or as light as a one or two pound pair of Indian clubs can be, it can be extremely intense and frustrating when somebody's brand new to it, where you can just start to see the smoke come out of the ears from them just thinking no, you, about how do I perfect it.
0: Yeah, you sure. And you know, this takes me back to the sort of concept of um, um, Indian clubs international where my thinking on that level is that I'm, I'm fully aware of what you've just talked about. And I want the beginner or the, the, the new person, or whether even it's, if it's a fitness professional or whatever, and they've not done this before, I want to give them examples of what they do in their daily life that's asynchronous. Because most of the things that we do is asynchronous, but for some reason, um, the, getting one hand to follow another, for instance, in a synchronous movement, is easier than an asynchronous movement with clubs where your arms are extended. And that that's, um, so just going just going back a little bit, the, the concepts, when I discovered this idea of transitioning, and then of course, I mean, I practiced this transitioning, you know, ad nauseum every day, you know, like an hour a day, bang, 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 you know, doing the same thing over and over until the, the motor skills went into my head. Then was, okay, how do you present this? How do you explain something like this? And, you know, what do you do? And then, then you know, how do you look for, Mistakes if somebody's trying to do it, but it's not quite working out. This is what the the um, the concept of the um, ICI The the Indian Clubs International is that we want to overcome these it's like um, stepping stone problems if you like and Now I'm going to kind of veer off a little bit. So over the years, you know, since this um, happened I then moved into a lot of asynchronous work and um, then basically discovered that um, the uh, synchronous work is on a two count, so it's one, two. Once one is the front circle, two is the back circle. And then asynchronous is the same, so there's a front circle at the front and the one back circle at the back, and then the hands change over. And then you can do everything in doubles. So you do double front circles, double back circles, or you can do double front, one back, double front, one back. And you can do that in an asynchronous format also, which is where the, the mental gymnastics comes in. Mm-hmm. Then I looked at something which was, I was a real surprise, and this is coming into um, sort of early part of last year where I, when I was on chemo um, and getting weaker and weaker by the day. And I was basically, you know, I'd gone down from sort of like three-pound Indian clubs down to one-pounders, and I was struggling with those. And I was still trying to sort of work out these patterns. I, just, I rediscovered the windmills which is basically the arms are moving at half a circle apart. And what was interesting about this, windmills have been done traditionally um, in um, sort of, you know, swinging to the, to the right or swinging to the left. But it's a four count. So, I mean, it's one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. That's the way that the clubs swing. And so each club swings on each number. So And that relates to the... Um, the Persian meal's fast, uh, sorry, slow swing, um, in a way, because that's also a four count. So one, two, three, four. There's a, there's a deliberate, um, you know, each arm does something different at different points of the count. And then I discovered, um, with this sort of fascination of, well, okay, if I can swing to the left, swing to the right, I must be able to do this in an outward movement. So one arm is going one way, one goes going the other way, and then, of course, can I do it inwards? And of course you can. And then the big question was, well, how do I transition from one to the other? Because in the um, in a in a swing in a windmill swing to the right, the left arm leads before the right hand does. I mean, you've got the you've got a situation where one arm is in advance of the other. Mm -hmm. So now, how do you switch from that to going in the opposite direction and changing the sequencing of your arms? And that was, believe me, a real you know, breakthrough when I actually managed to work that one out. Because I can means, only imagine not,
1: that's a really hard not, thing to overcome. And you make, you do, I know, to, I know a ton of work went into it, but you make that stuff look so smooth, so effortless. But I, I think people, you know, people think practice with kettlebells and they think, you know, I'm going to do multiple sessions, I'm going to work on my get ups or however many minutes versus how yeah. like you said. I feel like Indian clubs, we find ourselves working hours. Um, where it's like True. all of a sudden, like I've, I've done my session and now I'm just playing around with Indian clubs. Uh, right. Just trying patterns out. I felt bad, so, you know, I was out in, I was out in Tokyo teaching um, last month, a few weeks ago, and I yeah. taught an Indian club workshop. And for, for uh, it's funny, on the, they recorded it. They're gonna sell it out there. And I give you and James a shout out. I'm like, this is the basic thing so that you can then have these advanced, move on to advanced skills with you and with James. True. And uh, But I would go to the park. with a, they, they, they let me borrow a pair of the clubs. I would go to the park and I'd play around with stuff. And when I returned them, I'm like, hey, Travis, I, I, I might have bought these because I, I've dinged them up. Because sometimes you're practicing and the clubs go flying because you're just thinking one sure. thing. You're trying to turn and it just flies out of the hand. And he, he didn't make me buy them. But I think people lose that sight when someone flows so well with them that it's not a brute force thing. It's a very different thing. And that's, that's hours and hours of practice. Um, Watching you or watching James uh, Nidlinger, I'm like, Holy crap. It's so smooth. And I know some people will look at me and think I have some, uh, you know, some level of skill at it. And I'm just very much a meat and potatoes basics guy at at this point. And I feel like that's, that's my home right now. As I continue to practice more. Um, but I love that you brought that up of the hours. Cause I think, in, you know, we, we tend to think of progression and reps and days, whereas I think Indian clubs is closer to like learning the guitar. Um, sure. in, in terms of like having to sit and practice with it.
0: Yeah. No, and I so, I mean, it's a, it, it is very much a question of practice, but it's also, I mean, it's developed into a, into a, a true fascination with me because, um, you know, as, as I said earlier on, I, I mean, I got very cocky at one stage when I discovered how to do the, back hip circle inwards and outwards. But then you know things have advanced so much further from there. And I'm, now, now so, you know, and my interest has gone into, so now I've taken for instance, you know, can you do Indian club movements? Can you take that into the mace? Can you take mace movements into Indian clubs? And that's how the fusion of the workshop came to be. Because um, again, I mean, this is sort of, you know, I, I call my, my chemo so five months of chemo, basically it was like a very interesting development point because it was, um, I was so weak and so, um, you know, everything was destroyed inside me. But I was still, I'd vowed to myself that I'd train every day and I would literally just pick up a pair of clubs and, and literally sometimes just swing pendulums in front. Sometimes then once my arms had got sort of more blood, because the heart wasn't circulating, so that, like the blood pressure drops and everything else. And um you and it, you feel nauseous when you first start moving, but then suddenly it all goes away and it, and then you feel fine so it was it became really therapy for me um dealing with um you know basically an, a, you know a sickness that was imposed by my my, my oncologist i mean it had to happen
1: well let, and, let's um, let let's talk about this for a moment. I don't mean to cut you off, but no, watching your videos and seeing you in person, I had no idea that you had undergone chemo when I met you like you're you are, um, very strong. I know you mentioned, you know, your, your age earlier, we didn't specifically say it, but you're, you're, I don't want to be like, Hey, you're wholly old, but like you are, you come across much younger than the number seems to be regardless of having gone through chemo and dealt with that. Um, how long ago did you find out that you had to go through chemo? So you're saying it was a five-month window of, of going through chemo and recovering, but how long ago was that? Because it wasn't that long ago, was it?
0: No, it wasn't. It was, it was to, I, I had, um, it was, I discovered February 2017 that I had cancer. and it's prostate cancer. And I, I don't mind saying my age, by the way, it's, I'm 68 now. I'll be 69 in January. So there you go. Anyway. So yeah, I diagnosed in February, um, and I had two thousand and seventeen was going to be my. I used to do what was called, or I used to call, um, Indian clubs tour, where I'd, I'd come to the US, I'd come to Europe, um, UK, and so on, and doing Indian club workshops, and that was going to be um, one of my biggest tours so far. And I had to cancel everything. I had so many people buy tickets and stuff; it was just crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. But I had to cancel the whole lot because. Um, first of all they were going to remove the prostate and then they decided I had something called a PET scan where they discovered that the, my lymph nodes in my um, pelvic area have got cancerous cells some of them sort of not quite half an inch in size and that basically the surgeon told me that there was no way that he could remove them all um, and um, basically it, yeah, it was chemo so I started chemo um, mid-year so it would have been I did a, three workshops in Korea, came back from Korea and um, went into chemo. And I think that was July, because the chemo went from July to the end of October um, last year.
1: So and there wasn't um, that much time before I met you, because that workshop was in May?
0: No no, 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 no. The workshop that we've just done was in September. Wasn't that,
1: <laughs> was yeah, really it? Was that really that?
0: 2018, but I mean, I even... My, uh, my wife and I decided to sort of get away from, you know, our apartment, just travel a bit. And um, I spoke to Luigi Mauro in Italy saying, hi, Pierre, I want to come and see you because we've been sort of talking on Facebook and stuff. And he said, right, you're doing a workshop. And I was thinking, holy shit, I don't know if I can do this because I didn't know what my endurance would be like. And when, when I arrived there, he would actually arranged two workshops, not one. And I went through the first day and I thought, you know, if I had to throw the towel in with this, because I knew how quickly I, my energy and levels would drop. But I sailed through it, it would, and it would, that was such a um, mental boost that, you know, come the workshop on Sunday, I mean, I was into it like there was no tomorrow. And then I went off to Hungary to see Tamas Kaczmarski and um, Zolt Galba in um, Budapest. Um, and then to the UK, and then finally ended up in, with Kelly and yourself and all the others that came to the workshops in um, Connecticut, which was amazing. And that, that, in its own right, that trip was basically reaffirming to me that I could still do this sort of stuff and, ha- and have the endurance to run, you know, a seven, eight hour workshop without having to basically, you know, stop to catch a breath, which is the way I like to do it because I like to, you know, um, to, to demonstrate, and then basically we all swing together. We all do stuff together. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you could follow by example type of thing. And I've always been a very great advocate of that type of training. So, yeah, and no, I mean, and it's really not – that was just – I can't tell you the, um, the strength of those um, workshops was just amazing to me personally because it was um, – yeah, you can do this, man. I mean, okay, so you've got cancer, you know, deal with it. And I still have to have injections and so on to, to m- maintain um, very low testosterone. Basically, it's sort of like a, it's a, um, a, f- a feminizing type of drug because it rids you, you know, like I used to sort of shave. I didn't have a huge growth, but this is a funny story. Every, every other day was my sort of shaving schedule before this started. And now I shave once a week because nothing grows, you know. <laughs> there's, there's things that happen to my body that basically are never going to be the same again, you know, so... 'm um, saying i 'm not saying it feminizing in a bad way, but you know the fact that i don't have any naturally produced testosterone affects your the way that you are and um but my energy levels are back, and that 's what I love about this the most, so I mean I can carry on doing this sort of stuff
1: well i'd say I, you know we haven 't talked my 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 sort of mission statement uh, is this idea of live long, be strong, and die mighty it's it's to basically to be 95 years old and not need a scooter at Disneyland with your great grand. Absolutely. Yeah. And when I found out Kelly, you know, Kelly sort of like at the, towards the end of the workshop, I can't remember if it was towards the end of the workshop, or maybe when we were talking about getting her on the show, which was pretty right after. I don't know why I thought may this year has been a blur um, September. And she was like, you, you, you know, she mentioned having you come back and she's like, but he has to go, through, you know, he just went through some treatments. He's going to take some time, time off. And I was like, what treatments? And she didn't go into details, but she went, he just recently had, had, you know, chemo. I was like, holy shit. And she's like, you know, he's going to be 69. I was like, holy shit. Cause folks like you are, um, such a wonderful example of fitness, changing a life. Like how your doctor said you need to do something, but then not just yeah. doing something, but also like, allowing yourself to follow the path that that took you on, right? So, uh, you know, yeah. and I kind of feel it like for me, my start was becoming a strong dad. I had a kid. I was feeling very broken down, men, you know, decades of skateboarding and DMX and stuff just, you know, took a toll. And so I started working out and then I found kettlebells. And kettlebells are, yeah. you know, inadvertently have now taken me around the world many times uh, and through that meeting you. And also through our, our mutual friend of T.C. Lee out there in Perth. Um, I just think it's really, in, in, you know, in, in inspiring. It's like something like a word I think people almost throw out too easily. But I think if you want to talk about like following somebody that's living by example and, and, and literally like overcoming, I think you're like, you are truly inspiring about that. Because oh, thank you. I can't even imagine like how... Part of my French. You're strong as fuck, regardless of having just come out of dealing with chemo and these treatments, um, for what people would think of your age, and I think that's amazing. And then when you throw on what you've just gone through over the last year and a half, it's outstanding, Paul. So um, well, thank you. I mean, I I can't wait to see where this goes and to be, you know, this where where this project goes with you guys with your organization. No, Are
0: you? No, uh, people, I mean, basically, I mean, my, my interest lies uh, deep down. My interest is now to um, to promote um, club and mace swinging, and I'm talking Indian club here, Indian club and mace swinging to as many people as I possibly can, because I think that the the benefits that I had to be had out of it are um, literally more than meets the eye. Um, it's, it improves your breathing. and I mean, basically, we're... You know, we're all on our mobile phones or we're hunched over a desk or we're behind the steering wheel of a car. And, I mean, your shoulders are basically in the wrong position, not forward enough. And, um, you know, just the breathing aspects is, is one massive, massive benefit of Indian Club and Macework. Um, and, you know, and of my personal mission is to get this out there as much as possible, because I think it's such a valuable thing for everybody to do. And um, that, that's the intention.
1: I think it's really cool. And, and and how I mentioned how, you know, from the people that I've known, like yourself and and, and my friends from the courses that we've assisted with, Matt Flyer and those guys and James is, I didn't really know you at the time. So I'm going to be doing like a, a, an intro course through Original Strength, which is really like, again, an intro course, because I think there are a lot of people that have no idea what's happening at the start there's no sort of self-regulating thing so it's only like going to be like maybe like a three-hour intro intro course and we didn't have a relationship at the time but you know i know james has got his thing through flexible steel and any club workshop through flexible steel so excuse me james is a friend i reached out hey dude I, i don't want to step on any toes are you cool with me putting this thing in and i think it'll be a feeder for all of your all of your workshops sure like no just get it out and then, of course, I had to reach out to Dr. Thomas. I'm like, you know, uh, Dr. Thomas, look, you know, you are, it's your material is what I basically have been using, you know, um, as in my own training. And this is the idea of what I like to do. And he was like, get it out. And what you want to do is terms of get it out. Like, surely, certainly we want our programs to be successful. But the ultimate goal from everybody that I've spoken to is just like, to get, keep people and keep making awareness and getting clubs into more people's hands. Because it, it has been interesting how, at least in the States, there's been waves and then it seems like it dips. And then there's yeah. waves and then it seems like it dips, as opposed to how kettlebells have become mainstream. I feel like Indian clubs are still so esoteric for people but if you looked at the like popularity starting to rise, and then whatever caused that drop to happen, and it might be because they're lighter and they're not as gnarly, and it's more of a mental challenge for a lot of people, it simply might just not be sexy enough for that that immediate response people like. But the yeah, longer, and I think I,
0: there there is a um, I think there's a stigma, and it's like the stigma that I'm going to talk about now is probably some people might frown at what I'm going to say, but. I think that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a general opinion, you know, oh, let's go heavier, heavier is better and all this sort of thing, without necessarily learning the proper technique first. And now with Indian clubs, I mean, what one has to remember is that um, it, it's a swing and it's pivoting around the shoulder and the elbow at the wrist and um, also swing and it's turning on the, um, the Y axis, which is just fine. And um, so there's mobility and agility here that's coming um, out. And when you push your weight up, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a barbell or a kettlebell or whatever, your body is going into compression and all your joints are going into compression. Whereas India, the, one of the greatest benefits of Indian clubs is, is it's is basically decompressing because gravity and the circles are pulling everything out. So it's, I mean, for a, let's say for a, a kettlebell sports sport, athlete, the combination of doing warm-ups with Indian clubs, for example, not so much the mace, maybe, but Indian clubs is only going to basically prepare all their joints for the compression work that they're going to do with the with the kettlebells and then go back to um, you know, doing a warm down with a bit of Indian club work just to pull things out again. I think that's a marriage made in heaven.
1: It really is. I wrote an article years ago, um, about that. Like it was like called like the secret to heavy pressing because yeah. I was doing, I was very into a kettlebell pressing and, but I've had surgery on my right shoulder and, yep. you know, kettlebells certainly too, just brought their own pros to that. The shoulder stability, the offset weight and all of that, and allowing you to have your groove, but the Indian clubs, uh, both as a warm up but I would do them in between sets all the time. Yes. I still do really uh, helped with the recovery and the resiliency. Yes. And uh, it's kind of shocking. And now that is like eight years later of using Indian clubs while pressing and my shoulders feel great.
0: Well, no, I just, on, on, the, on the point of recovery, I mean, I was talking to TC about it and he's in his gym here in Perth, you see he's running a um, hundred um, swing challenge at the moment leading up to Christmas. And I mean, obviously, there's people that will do five swings. There's people who do tens and probably they'll do, there'll be some that do 20s. And what he's found is that he's, um, he's getting his um, athletes to um, swing just maybe 10, 12 circles in, with Indian clubs in between each set as they approach the 100. And he said that the recovery level, the breathing recovery level is massive. And I mean that just confirms what you've just said. That I mean, you know, you're just doing you, the the club work between sets is just a huge value because basically you're um, you're opening your thoracic cage up to get more air into your lungs. As simple as that.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. So I th- I think it's real cool that everyone's sort of out on the mission to get this. And and a lot of the cool people that I met, like Zach and and, and Chris and um, William, at, at your workshop too, that are posting up videos and you know getting the word out and getting people's eyes on it. I, I think there is that potential though when you start to see the really beautiful wrist circle stuff that have, of it becoming, you know, it's it's a weird thing. We deal with this in, in, in the DVRT system where we can get very complex with some of our flowy movements where yep. people don't see an entry point when something just looks so complex and graceful. Um, but, it's so cool to see that stuff out there that people can see where it can go, even if it means we're going to spend a year, not a year, but whatever it might be, of really honing the basics.
0: Yeah. So, if, the, yeah, no, that, and that basically, I totally agree with that. And I think the um, re, taking the complexity out of Indian clubs is one of my, my uh, preoccupations, if you like, in the sense that. You know, I, I know I'm well fairly aware, aware of the five movements that you, you were talking about. Um, but my issue is with that that, they, that those five movements are already too complex, because basically, each one of those five movements comprises of two circles. And if the person who's being presented, let's say, with movement number one, doesn't understand how the elbow should move and so on, on the front circle? And then on the back circle, they're gonna have trouble understanding that movement. So consequently, you get this real jerky sort of like movement twisting wrists around and so on, which, and there's no, there's no smoothness and, um, you know, there's a lot of jerkiness there and there's no smoothness there in the swing. So, and, and the deconstruction of like movement one, for example, to my mind is, is incredibly important because I want each student to be able to perform the front part of movement one and then the back part of movement one. And then we'll put it together. And that's the way that I think about it now. I mean, and that's the way that, you know, I'm, I've taken a step back even further because to me, I, a lot of people won't be able to actually comprehend that. And it just, and you know, this, they struggle with a movement behind their back basically on the on the second circle, which is the shoulder circle.
1: Yeah it's been interesting over the years. So after I, you know, there was a time where I actually taught an Indian club class at at an old gym that I used to, uh, one of my older gyms that I used to work at. And those that picked it up, loved it, picked it up really great. I think actually one of the members uh, who's also like a a teacher there might be teaching the class now, I'm not sure, but others would struggle for a long time. I think what I liked about, I wasn't exposed to an outside education source in Indian clubs until your course. Is you allowed, you taught it well and to the point, but allowed for a certain level of, uh, I don't want to say looseness, but lack of preciousness that allowed people to actually focus on the bigger rocks first as opposed to the minutia of every part of it, right? Yeah. So, you know, how perfectly neutral is the wrist out of the gate versus actually trying to you know how this how's the circle going and then people can hone in whereas i think if there was a fault that sometimes it was like every little aspect was overly precious from the first starting point right And it's like you're not going to have a great swing as your first swing and yeah you want to build to 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 get better and better at it. But I think that that element of allowing people to find themselves within it first and then hone in versus trying to find perfection first and then trying to bake. You know, I, I get both aspects of it. Like if you can get a killer rep going really slow, it's going to be easier to go fast like any sort of martial art or skill training. But also if there's just so much like that extra neural smoke, central nervous system prior happening of trying to overthink every step, every curve of that, it's just counterproductive.
0: Sure. No, that's right. That's t- totally right. So, yeah, I mean, that's sort of, I mean, we keep um, jumping around, but basically, you know, it's simplifying um, and presenting stuff um, that's going to lead to complexity, but it has to be presented in such a way that the, 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 the basics can be understood, corrected, and then move on. You know, that's, that's the way that I think that the, the, um, the whole concept of Indian Clubs International is going to move forward.
1: That's awesome. And I'm going to have, uh, I haven't set up a time for it yet, but in a few weeks or so, we're going to have Kevin on here as well. And I'll, I'll have sure. them, the whole crew on because I didn't realize, Kevin and I didn't realize that we're both like old punk rockers as well. So we'll have yeah. a lot to talk about on, on that front. Um, he posted up, I think it was a pair of Misfit socks. And I'm like, I have a different version of those, but I also have a bunch that I just bought. Um no, very good. Uh, can I tell you something that I thought that uh endeared you to me as well uh at the course from a presenter to presenter standpoint? Yeah. Uh, you did a very good job of being super clear, and um you were very uh, you know, uh, hands-on with everybody. Like everybody got time to ask you a question, and there was never that separation of like you're in the front of the room, and then Kelly and Kevin are drew the other stuff. But there was one point, I don't know if anybody else caught this where towards the end, it got a little like, uh, people weren't necessarily listening or, or organizing right away. And I could see this look on your face of like, oh yeah, he's nice, but he's getting pissed right now, but he's really holding it together. Yes. <laughs> then, I don't even know if you realize that it was happening and nobody else probably did. I just knew this as somebody that presents fairly often. I'm like, I can see that. It's like, you have the moment when like you just got to wrangle the room in. And there was there was like towards the end where it's just like, getting a little harder to wrangle the room in. I'm like, I could see it where I was like, Paul wants <laughs> Paul wants to give him some shit right now, but he's being really polite about it. And that was an endearing quality to me because I know that feeling. I've had to, like, yeah. have, like, tough love moments with classes where I'm like, guys, like, we, we have to, like, respect each other's time right here. Yeah. Um, but that's the kind of stuff that I love, too, where the personality comes out. Oh, thank and you. What, yeah. So this is, the, I'm, I'm
0: going to have to kind of start to bring I, I was it to an end, I'm afraid.
1: Literally just going to say the same thing. Uh, we, I got to wrap it up. Uh, Paul, awesome talking with you. Uh, Thank you. Where, where can people follow you? Because you do have one of the better um, YouTube channels. Your social media is on point in terms of information. Because like you said, back in the day, there wasn't a whole lot. Like I could, when I first looked into Indian clubs, there was like a couple of martial arts instructors that we're doing it, and not a whole lot of information. So, where can people find your YouTube channel and anything on the social media? Sure.
0: So, my my YouTube, I use them. I have a lot of videos on YouTube, which is um, under um, Paul Taras Volkovinsky. And but if you go to the Indianclubs.com.au, um, so for AU for Australia, I um, that website. Basically, contains a lot of my own personal demonstrations. Some of them very old now. Um, so, but some of them are sort of quite up to date. And um, then videos that I've shot in um, Iran, in the Zulkaneh, in, in um, India, in Varanasi, of mace swinging and club swinging and, and all sorts of things. And basically sort of things that are connected to mace. Plus, I have a small website for anybody who is interested in um, swinging Indian clubs, which is called IndianClubsAcademy.com. And there people just sign up for a free seven video course to swing. I mean, basically, they'll learn the front circle, the back circle, a hand change, and it's a one-club routine. But the, those, I mean, anybody who's going to come to the, um, uh, the workshop that I'm going to be doing with Kelly and Kevin in, um, on May 4th, 2019, if you guys do that, if you follow that, um, what's presented in Indian Clubs Academy workshop. That set will set you up for for what we're going to do in the workshop itself. So, awesome. And then then also on Facebook, but I mean, basically, I I have um uh, in also Instagram under Volkovensky, which is just my surname, and Facebook, which is also my personal account. There it carries a lot of stuff, but the main website is basically where every, where everything is. That um you know anybody who wants to get into this in a big way, there's lots of reading and. Um, research that can be done there plus links to old books and and that sort of thing
1: awesome hey at the end of every show the guest tells the listeners to die mighty can you tell our guests to die mighty to die die mighty yeah
0: (laughs) just tell them what was that i'm not quite i'm not following what you're saying
1: just tell the listeners to die mighty
0: Okay, listeners, die
1: mighty. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Paul. Uh, <laughs> hey, thank you so much for taking the time. It was really great chatting with you. Well, uh, uh, hopefully I'll see you in Connecticut when you're back in town. And yep. um, please keep in touch.
0: Yes, no, we'll do it for sure.
1: Awesome. For well, sure. thanks for taking the time. Okay, pleasure.
0: Thank you very much. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach fury Hollander for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music,
1: and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at glengurrieta. Voice over by Laura Palmer.